Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Reflex Blue Show. I am your host, Donovan Beery, recording from Omaha, and have with me, live from Chicago, Justin Dower. Justin, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Donovan. Great to be here, virtually. Yeah, and last time we spoke, which was actually in Chicago, we, we talked about your book, Cultivating a Creative Culture, Correct. which is out in paperback, and all of a sudden, right before this pandemic hit, it is 2020, for those who listen to this later, you have released the second edition, which is all of a sudden went to hardcover and is about twice the length. At first, yes. when I got it, I thought, oh, this is, you know, most times you see a second edition and it's 90% the same material and about 5% new. I mean, that's kind of common, but yours, your, your book is like doubled in size and it's like a whole, there's like a whole new culture involved. Yeah, that was... Um a large driver of the title change. And I make sure to note everywhere, it's still a second edition, but the material has evolved. I felt it was similar enough and there was enough material from the first book to leverage for a second edition. Yeah, th there was a kind of a, an evolution from it being culture focused and touching on the synergies of design to really bringing those synergies of design issues and cultural issues and fusing them together and noting those touch points and how we can kind of benefit from yeah, and the new title is Creative Culture, Human-Centered Interaction Design and Inspiration. Now, I did read this whole book, and I did enjoy it. I actually enjoyed it more than the first edition. Like, like it seemed to have added to it. But you have to forgive me. I read this, like, at the beginning of this pandemic, which was, I mean, what, what, when did the book launch? I think I got it, like, a month before it launched. End of June. June okay, so I got it somewhere in, in May, which, which in 2020 is, like, eight years ago. So, I mean, I read this thing. <laughs> I read this thing so, so far back. But the interesting thing is, so the book, a lot of your book is about creating a culture for people to work in. And a lot of it is kind of environmental. But all of a sudden, your book launches and no one's working in their office. Yeah, how about that? The two, two things on that. The good news is, I, I, you know, this isn't permanent. I mean, people are going to get back to the office at some point. But the other side of that is, I think, because it leverages a foundation of values and... You know, I say human-centered in the title, really, it's kind of a people-first notion. Because it leverages those notions and values of being empathetic and humble and connection uh, and humility, it kind of transcends the tangible realm. It kind of transcends office interactions, and it is completely applicable to Zoom-based interactions, as, as we're doing right now, or all these team meetings, or... People still are joining. I mean, onboarding is still a thing. How do you, you know, you know by leveraging those values of, you know, put, uh, putting yourself in the shoes of someone other, uh, someone else, empathy, how do you still onboard someone in a remote capacity and make them feel welcome and part of the team and all of those things? So thankfully, because, you know, that, that kind of underpins the, the content of the book, it is applicable pandemic or otherwise. Because a lot of your book does focus on bringing in someone else to a creative team or, or a non-creative team. I mean, I think you got a lot of your lessons from a pizza place there in Chicago that, <laughs> that does things. Right. But, and, and not, not that making pizza can't be creative, but, but it is a different profession. A lot of it is bringing them on in their first day of, at the office and so forth. But all of a sudden, there is no, there's no office. Right. So I, I, could, I feel, still think we can consider... How does someone want to feel on their on their first day? So, you know, the example I use in the book is someone's coming into the office. They're not stumbling. We're not stumbling and being like, "Where's is you know is there a computer around here for them? Can we scratch up a mouse? Just, you know, scrape some dust off this keyboard." Everything is kind of there and set up. Like there's thought given to every step of the way. Taking that same notion, applying it in a virtual sense, 
Has their computer arrived on time? Do they have the software licenses they needed? Um, when they're joining the first day, are they still meeting the team? Are they being introduced around virtually? Are we having lunch with them virtually? Like all those same notions apply, thankfully. But, uh, you know, obviously it's just a different scenario, but just giving thought to every notion and step along the way to connect with people is still the driving force. And have you actually onboarded someone since, since this has come out? I have two teammates, actually, and I have a, a new one, a new uh, team member joining us pretty close to the holiday, actually. So a third soon. It's been totally, like when we first started doing this, this, air quotes, this pandemic thing, I, you know, we were kind of like unsure of like, how long is this going to be? And I, I welcomed a, a new researcher and a designer. It's like, yeah, this is funky, you know, but we're going to get back to it. And then you realize, no, we're in this for the long haul. We're in this through 2021. So it was, it was strange for them. It was, it was strange for me, but it's been a learning experience, man. Like applying those lessons from the book to a dynamic many of us have never experienced before. It's not even working remotely. Like, like and on any given day, like all of a sudden everybody's shut down or you can't go to a restaurant or you can't go to the grocery store. And asynchronous working has is, is become uh, more of a thing and respectful of that. And you know, when we first started doing this, I had, I was flooding my team with happy hours. Like here's, it's coffee time here. It's happy hour time there. And people started getting burned out from over zoom meeting syndrome. I noticed like cameras starting turning off more and people were getting more disassociated. So then I had to dial that back. So leveraging humility is my main tool. I don't know it all. I'm a student right now. Again, I'm learning how to, uh, how to lead a team amongst this. It, that that's been my greatest ally. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a learning experience across the board. I don't do a lot of meetings, even even still, but I have used the camera on my computer more than, than I ever had before, like in the existence of the camera. And, and that, that would be because I'd probably only used it, I could count them on a hand, and now all of a sudden, even if you use it twice a week, you're like, wow, this thing actually has a use. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I had feedback from a teammate and oh, I noticed their camera was off and I just all the time. I just wanted to you know, say, you know, what's going on? Are you, are, are you okay? And they're like, I'm perfectly fine, but I have a partner here and we live in a one bedroom place. You know, sometimes I'm at my bed taking a meeting. Sometimes I'm at the kitchen table and I just don't feel comfortable putting on. And Eureka, why, why didn't I think of that? Of course. I mean, that, the person just isn't comfortable doing this. So like I said, man, uh, learnings abound, uh, putting myself in the shoes of others and, and just um, listening, understanding and evolving my team's processes. It's, it's been an ongoing thing this year. I think it's going to continue. Yeah. And I know that obviously everyone's working asynchronously. Asyn- syn- I'm still getting used to this word. I'm terrible at pronouncing it here. It's, it's also, I assume it's expected that your team is supposed to be able to get together when needed or, or eat requests come in like during times what how has it changed obviously people aren't sitting at their desk necessarily eight to five but kind of what is what is the general expectation you would you would expect of someone that worked for you so we've done a few things in that capacity like we had meetings before scattered throughout the day like half hour hour meetings general check-in for the week project check-in for this product check-in for that to align better to asynchronous working we've put those meetings like back to back and we've shaved the time. So if they were an hour, they're a half hour. If they're a half hour, they're 15 minutes. So there's a known quantity time when we kind of air quotes expect people or hope people can, can be at their laptop. And then for the rest of the day, it's, it's get it done as you see fit. And people have their kids at home or they have newborns. I have my kids at home, probably hear them uh, guest starring in the background at some point. So as long as we have common times when we can still collaborate and we can still see each other, save for that, I don't care if people are going for a walk at some point during the day or taking a nap or, or, or whatever. 
but I, I think, you know, picking our moments and picking our spots where we still can collaborate as best we can in a virtual sense, that's, that's kind of been our aid. Yeah. And I guess how we've done it is, is, is I've only got one other person here and he usually works two days a week. We, we meet, we do like a half hour Zoom call. And actually we switched to that because cell phone reception for some reason is terrible, but Zoom chat is great. So I wouldn't even care if he didn't do video, but we were just doing it because it works because we can do a share screen if there's a project and we can, and the audio is for some reason better than, better than AT&T service. I, I don't know what it is. And then, and then um, I expect that, you know, I will, I'll send text and emails, but I, ex- I'm kind of like, well, these are the two days that they usually work. And, and if he changes his schedule, that's fine. But I just try to tell him at least a day ahead of time, if something's coming up, like this is, this is going to be due by end of day tomorrow. Right. And it seemed to work pretty well. Like, like that's working out so far. Yeah. You know, and eventually we'll be back in person. We'll see. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think this time next year, hopefully it's a, it's a totally different world again for the better, but it's yeah, really we, a day to time. And I do, this will be interesting for me too, because we're onboarding a, an intern for three 40 hour weeks in January. Mm-hmm. Part of their thing is they're supposed to learn. And so I'm like, well, how many, how much am I supposed to talk to them? Like how many, how many zoom meetings or, or, or should I set up? Like, cause how much would I see them if they're, if they're here in the office, I'd see them well, 120 hours over three right. weeks. So what, I mean, what, what's appropriate there. And we're trying to kind of figure that out. For that as well. Like I, I think if you use the old adage of backseat creative directing, and we've all felt that at some point in our career, somebody looming over your shoulder and have you tried this and let's go ahead and do it this way, that way. I think if the onus is more on the new employee to reach out to you, but you have to make that environment where they feel like they can do that. Like it's two sides of the, two sides of the coin. I'd like, if you have a question, reach out to me. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, breathe down your neck or put you on a, a zoom all day, but just so that you can absolutely do that. It's, it's totally fine to do that. I respect if you do that. I appreciate if you do that. So as long as like the environment of comfort and support is there, so no, someone knows they can reach out to you. I just had, you know, I had my teammates uh, introduce themselves to the couple new employees that I cited before. And then I just said, put something down, put like a half hour or an hour down with them to walk them through what you do and who you are. And then after that, just, you know, make the offer that they can reach out to you at any point. So it's kind of like a virtual onboarding buddy, but you have like 12 of them instead of, instead of one. So (laughs) sure. (laughs) Yeah. So it's all a learning experience. I'll keep saying that. Okay. Well, we're going to be right back with Justin Dower. Welcome back. So Justin, last time we spoke, we were at the How Conference in Chicago, or you were you were actually taken off to another conference. I was just there and you happened to live there. So you weren't even going to the How Conference. I think I, I talked to you like, and you just, you just swung by, saw the conference where it was being held. We right. talked in the back yeah. room and you took off. Yep. That was, that, that feels like an eternity ago, obviously. Doesn't it? Jeez. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and I think I've done a, this year I did do AIGA did a national did like a virtual portfolio review thing, which I thought they, it was run very well. I, I mean, I don't know who all put it on, but I, I, I came in as one of the portfolio reviewers and all of a sudden they talked, they, they did like day long. They do like keynotes, but the only thing mm-hmm. I, I showed up, you know, when I was supposed to, and then three in a break room. And I talked to like, I think I did a couple of these is what I volunteered for. And it was, it, and there even though it was different than any other portfolio review I've ever done, the nice part was, is, Hey, I'm talking to people that are in different parts of the country that would never have 
obviously probably probably met me before. And then we yeah. spoke for like an hour and they took off. So, I mean, have you, have you spoken any conferences or gone to any this year? Funny you mentioned that. I, I spoke at that exact conference, the, the AIG Portfolio Festival. I closed that out with a talk called Humility, the Designer's Most Essential Trait. So I, I wasn't a portfolio reviewer, but I, I gave one of the, the closing presentations. And it was setting up a broad notion of you know, humility as your ally uh, throughout your entire career. And I tried to make it as agnostic of medium as possible. I mean, I tied in design and UX mostly in a digital sense. But I think when you're leveraging humility as a point of connection, and privilege as a designer. Does being a designer is a privilege because you get the opportunity to connect with people. Now, like I said, I try to make it agnostic of medium because even if you're like designing a poster for a concert at some venue and like people are in a crowded hall, like you have to connect with people with a laser focus. What are the core points of information? What is the hierarchy of display? Or if someone's on a subway and they're leveraging, you know, they're using the experience on one hand, like what is the content strategy at that point and that, and that small viewport? Everything is connection-based. And when we're leveraging humility as our benchmark, we're always students, we're always evolving, we're always understanding people as best we can and trying to meet them where they're at, which is almost impossible to predict. I think that serves us very well. So that is a core point that I'm talking about quite a bit now. I think it, it kind of underpins the content of the book, whether I say it explicitly or, or more um, uh, subconsciously, if it's in the DNA of the content. But yeah, that portfolio festival was great. That's cool that you did the, one of the review sessions. I, I wanted to get to that as well, but I wasn't able to, but um, it, it was very well run. And, and I saw, I think, I think it was, it was they, they broke us out every reviewer spoke to just two other people. So you had an, mm. I think, I don't know if it was a full hour or it was a half hour things. I lose track of everything like everyone else does. I don't even know what day it is right now. Yeah. <laughs> but you spoke to, to two people, you gave their advice, the other person talked in and, and, and the other thing that was weird or that was, I guess was good that I wouldn't thought about is, is sometimes with these virtual things is you can find the really niche event that you may not have been able to go to before. Like this was just a straight up portfolio review thing made for kids graduating who otherwise they're only going to go to one of these if it, if it's in their area probably and whatnot. And all of a sudden it was like, Oh no, this is a nationwide thing. Yeah. I, yeah. You mentioned like um, folks graduating and entering a job market like this one right now, which I just, I can't, I can't fathom what, what that's like, uh, sussing out positions whenever a lot of people are looking for work because businesses are tightening their, their belts across the board. And then you're entering the job market. The competition is stiff. A lot of companies have gone remote. So they're probably, uh, sourcing talent from around the world at this point because they're staying remote. Which is, which is good and bad. It means your options are way more, but it means your competition might be more. You got it. When I try to, again, use that notion of putting myself in the shoes of others and someone's interviewing, maybe it's, it's good to touch on that. I think those same notions apply, even, even though we're interviewing remotely and we're trying to connect remotely, I, I, you know, like what, what is the most important thing to you as, as, and as it aligns to your values when you're finding a position and like having those questions in your back pocket is async working. Uh, very important to you is um, I don't know working less than forty hours a week super important to you is is career evolution super super important to you and just seeing what kind of answers you get from the person on the other end of the of viewport at that point are they are they genuine and passionate are you getting flop sweat as you ask different people who interview you are the answers consistent or or do they vary uh, very pretty disparately from manager down um, to new employee so. There's a lot to navigate right now, interviewing virtually and finding a position virtually. Like you said, it's two sides of the coin. Your options are 
massive now, but the competition is equally massive. So that, that's a challenge for sure. And I have been hearing, I mean, I, I've see, I see friends, I see acquaintances getting jobs in this market. I mean, I've seen some people lose jobs, but I've, I've seen them, people getting hired. I would assume one of the other issues is if you're hiring, if you're trying to get a job or get hired, I don't know, is there an issue where people are kind of leery? Are they only taking this because of this pandemic? And as soon as everything clears up, they're gone. Like, especially if it's a remote job or not. I, I don't know if that's, if that's being considered on either side. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a fantastic point. I think that's one of those questions that would be awesome to have in your back pocket to ask the employer. Like, is this, you know, the equivalent of like seasonal work where once uh, people are, are back in the office, are you going to retrim your belt and expect bodies there again? Asking what a long-term plan, like, you know, it's a standard question. What's your five-year plan? What does the business look like in five years? Where do you see yourself in five years? Asking like, what does your office environment look like in five years? How does it, how does it balance between people in the office and people working remotely? Uh, what are your expectations there? Those are awesome questions to have. And I think an employer, if, if they have put thought toward it, should have an awesome answer in return. Yeah. The, the, one, of the, one of the people that worked here in a past that worked for me, he was great. He, he had gotten a job, I think, three weeks before everything kind of shut down and it just started. And, and he'd already negotiated that he was only going to go to the office like two, three days a week, like mm-hmm. beforehand. So he, he was planning on kind of a half remote, if I, if, I, if, I, if I understood him correctly, position anyway. All of a sudden, he said three weeks in, it goes fully remote. And he did say there was, there was some weirdness where all of a sudden it's like, oh, you don't see coworkers. You're not there, and, you know. And, and it, it's been, but, but he's still there. But, but I think there was, a, there was a crazier transition than he expected. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, as much as you can divulge to that, is that, did that sit well? I mean, cause there's still expectations that you're going to engage with coworkers in some capacity. And then the company goes fully remote. Do you feel like your air quotes hoodwinked at that point? Is it, is it a letdown or is it more like this is the way it lay of the land right now? I think because of this situation, I think it's more of a, it's the lay of the land. And I assume, yeah. you know, he's like, well, I guess we're going to go back to the office eventually, mm-hmm. but who knows, but nobody knows when. Yeah, exactly. I, I've I've read uh, quite a bit I'm, because I'm absolutely fascinated by this, like how offices that are opening up now or ones that are even reconfiguring themselves, how do they how do they manage culture and interactions and engagement uh, in the office space in 2021 and beyond? And like some of the, some offices are, are you know working with larger open spaces now, like actual outdoor spaces, like the equivalent of like a screened in porch, if you will where people can go outside and like there's obviously there's better air circulation and it's more like a green space and it's pretty fat. I mean, I'm, this is uh, some Chicago things I was, I'm, I've been tracking, but uh, it's fascinating. I think it's incredibly fascinating how, how offices and businesses and cultural dynamics have to evolve for the unpredictable future. Yeah. And, and, and I think, but I think it's something that we always do. It's just in this situation, it happened to where you had to do it and make all your decisions within like a one week time period. Right, right. Where, where otherwise, these are things where you're like, hey, we'll start planning things out that'll happen in two, three years, start building these. And all of a sudden, instead, it's the, hey, we're, we're, we're going all remote starting Tuesday. Yeah, my um, my office uh, very much did the, did the same kind of thing, and it was handed down from corporate. We have we are owned by CVS Health, which is a, a Fortune ten company, and they you know the the policies kind of uh, trickle down. But our our office started doing the same thing. Oh, we're going to work you know for uh, six months, and then oh you know it's going to go through the end of twenty twenty, and now we're in the, the spring of twenty twenty one. And we had to move call center remote. We had to move IT remote. We had to, you know obviously my team is is design focused and. F- and development focus. We went remote, but we did it so fast and so seamlessly. Like I, 
it, it's kind of like you know, when you look back on it, kind of a miracle that it all worked out so seamlessly. And we all just started, the telephony started working. We all started doing our call, our call center completely remote um, when we had never done that before. Like you said, in a week, it was like literally like a week and it all just uh, worked out. So uh, when you're forced to um, innovate, sometimes some, some miracles happen and we got lucky here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll be back with Justin Dower. Welcome back, Justin. So I, I got to talk. Now, those those who, uh, you know, no one else can see video, but I'm going to shoot over to where my desk usually is. I'm sitting at the other desk. And, you know, it's it's all it's all Superman up there. Oh, beautiful. Like Look that's, that. an, you know, I got a six foot shelf of, I don't know, like a hundred figures up there or something. But you're all Batman. So I don't. I don't know what's going on with the with the DC in, universe. In movies. arms reach here, I can I can quickly I'll pull up my a couple Batman uh, figures. I I have two within arms reach. If I was able to pivot my MacBook Pro, you would see a shelf, probably fifteen statues on it. So we have complementary workspaces, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean DC wise, uh, there's that Batman movie that's been delayed two or three times now. Um, is it shooting again? It is. It is shooting, and they were Even- shooting in Chicago, in fact. So I. Oh wow. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I caught some. Uh, it wasn't so much Batman centric stuff. It was like Goth- you turned the corner uh, downtown, all of a sudden, like everything was Gotham City PD, and the signs were like Gotham City signs. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. I wow. My my friend Ted, who does, uh, I think he now does a lot of stunt work and stuff. But he he he's a designer in Pittsburgh, and he was there when they were filming Dark Knight Rises. So he he mailed me once one of those uh, Gotham Rogue bandanas. <laughs> from because he said he was right? he was an yeah he was an extra during that big football and they filled the entire stadium and they all yeah. wear they all wave them like because they're terrible towels because if you film a football scene in in pittsburgh people are going to wave yellow to. yellow towels so they're like well we'll just make yellow bandanas and give those to people right so, I, so i've got one that, that i guess was i mean i guess it's a movie prop but they made like 70,000 of them or something <laughs> but it's it's sitting over there in some case you know, oh boy, that's a travesty. Well, that's cool you have that. I'm, I'm, I'm admittedly jealous. Yeah, and I think, I think you can get one for twenty bucks if you even go digging around because there's enough <laughs> okay. of them. Probably okay. even less now that the movie's been around for a while, and, and you know, and and it's not the Dark Knight; it's the Dark Knight Rises. So people don't don't care as much about it. <laughs> yeah, the Dark Knight was a lot of that was filmed in Chicago. A lot of that was filmed in Chicago. I love how they just move move Gotham around, and then and then even in the same movie series, it went from Chicago to all of a sudden, Oh, now it's in Pittsburgh. And then I don't, I don't, (laughs) but other than that, I do, I do, I do think that Batman has, has always had the better stories. They just can never write Superman, but I like the, I like the character a lot more. Superman's been shelved, right? I mean, uh, for quite a bit, you got Henry Campbell, who's that awesome actor. I think he's great in the part and they're just doing nothing with him. It's, it's a travesty. Well, they're they're. I mean, there is it next year. The, the, Justice League is being re-released. Snyder Cut, yeah, the Snyder Cut. And exactly. then all of a sudden, maybe, and then they don't know what they're going to do. If it if it goes well, maybe maybe all of a sudden, uh, Cavill's back, and yeah. maybe he's not. I hope so. I think he's great. Well, hopefully, we'll see you again at some at some conference or event in the future when we eventually get out. So, do you have any other virtual ones you're speaking at here upcoming? I am uh, speaking at Copious UXPA uh, chapters right now, and I'm giving a couple different talks. The one I mentioned before, the uh, humility uh, talk, and the other one is uh, called Together, The Essential Fusion of Culture and Design, which more or less is, is the crux of the book uh, with some personal examples about those touch points between uh, design process and cultural interactions and how we can kind of 
identify those and leverage those uh, to people's benefit, both inside and outside the office. So. Uh, those are the couple talks I'm giving right now, and I'd, I'd love to you know connect with anyone who's interested. And I would highly recommend this creative culture book, and and it it's remarkable at how well it holds up. Where because the culture, a lot of it, you do speak about your office environment, but the culture goes way beyond that. It goes it goes with the, how the company's run and all that, and so it's it's interesting to see how how well the book still makes sense even if you're not in an office. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, and those notions, like I mentioned before, humility and and being empathetic the way we create and the way we treat one another. I mean, that goes from an employee's first day to at the team level, to the leadership level, to the C-suite. It's really like a from me to we kind of notion. So I, I'm, I, I'm glad it worked out in a timeless capacity, but boy, this year has been a, a certainly an interesting one to release a book. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> it's been an interesting one for, for all of you. Well, not just book-wise, but releasing anything. So you got it. Hopefully, um, we'll be back here in a couple weeks. Thanks again for listening. And uh, Justin, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Donovan. Appreciate it. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Murray is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dust Lab.